Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Flam. Welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam, and this is the part of the show, if you've been an avid listener, which I know you all have, where I talk about the guests that I'm about to have on. Maybe I tell a story. Maybe there's some sort of a cool like soundscape thing happening. I thought it would be really cool and meta to have the guests be part of this intro part where I introduce them. So, Brian, what should I say about you to get them excited about yeah. you being the guest? Tell them I'm black and that my black life matters. Oh, thank God. I wanted to say that, but I can't say that. Yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, I can't say that your, your black life matters. It does now. Uh, it does. Yeah, it, does <laughs> it does now. It didn't really before, but now it's, it's starting to matter a little more. And is there anything else about you or your career that would really get people so pumped really to listen going? to this next conversation? Gosh, I interviewed uh, Ann Coulter on the, red, on the gray carpet of the Rob Lowe Roast. Uh, I had a television show called Roast Battle that had a four night run on Comedy Central. Uh, and I got a girl pregnant uh, right out of high school and she had a miscarriage. Sweet. Stick around. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, we got an exciting uh, conversation about to happen with Brian Moses. And, um, and now we're going to hear a sound effect. Um, is there any sort of kind of set cool sound effects that you like? Uh, gosh, I, I'm always partial to a gunshot. So a gun is a, how can we make it a, a more interesting gatekeeper style Ooh, gunshot? A gatekeeper style gunshot, or a Brian Moses themed I mean, gunshot. I mean, this is the gatekeeper. I know that uh, that what's his name? Um, who's the guy that shot Trayvon Martin? I forget. Me too. That's good. Uh, it is. That's good. Or or should we remember? No, no, no. I, that's actually good. We forget. It, it was George Zimmerman, but I, right. I'm actually happy that we forgot that. So. But then we remembered. Yeah. You remembered. <laughs> but yeah, I said it we. came back to me. Uh, yeah, I just feel like, because he's, you know, he was the, it was a gated community and he was oh. a neighborhood watch guy, so. Gatekeeper. Yeah. He was the gatekeeper. So what is that sound effect? Uh, I think it's a, uh, it's Skittles falling on the ground and then maybe a, like an iced tea can rolling. Oh my God. This is so. It's um, too dark. Sorry. So, okay. <laughs> Skittle can, Skittle, the rainbow of, uh, taste the rainbow. Enjoy, taste the rainbow. We'll be back in a minute with Brian Moses. Gatekeeper. And we're back. Brian Moses, uh, let's dive right in. You have the prettiest eyes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that on, uh, on podcast. I don't know if you're fishing here. I'm not fishing. No, I, I think, I, I mean, I don't know what to fish for. I'm actually giving you a compliment. I know. Well, so. I, I love your shirt. Oh, come on. The never forget shirt. <laughs> what are we supposed to forget? 9-11. Oh, right. Yeah. Which is coming up. I know. I'm excited. What did so you get? 9-11. Um, where were you? On I was, gosh, I was, cause I'm on the West coast. So I was sleeping and then my dad woke me up and said, you got to see this. So I was at home. You got to see this. Yeah. You got to, you get a load of this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the, the world's under, on, uh, under attack. You got to check this out. So yeah, I was, I was at home sleeping soundly. And I was like, Oh no, is school going to be canceled? Hopefully. So that's where was I, it canceled? So my sc- uh, school? No, no, unfortunately. What grade were you in? God, I think it was a junior. What a fun, organic way to get into where you're from, what yeah. you're about. How did you get into comedy? What OMG. got you to this 
a precipice to all this amazing stuff that's happening. Well, I'm not going to pull Steve Ranazzi and say it was 9-11. Uh, <laughs> it was, what got me into stand-up comedy? I was in a sexual psychology class in this community college in San Diego. And there were these two guys who just happened to be Jewish. Uh, and they said, because we used to do like sketches instead of like write essays. And uh, we had fun doing them. And they're like, oh man, you should do stand-up. I feel like every guy who like who gets told that is like, yeah, you're right. I should do stand up. So then uh, I were studied you in a class it. with Mark Lano and Bud Friedman, right? <laughs> <laughs> two famous Jews. Uh, no, no, they were just these two guys from like Riverside, California, and uh, yeah, they, we just we, we would shoot sketches, and then all of a sudden, I I just studied stand up for like six or seven months, and I would go to like the local club in San Diego, uh, and then I just I just kind of did it the day after James Brown died. Oh shit! Yeah, that was the impetus. Yeah. Were you was, a big uh, James Brown fan? I was a huge James Brown. Brown. I, I still am. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I love the guy. So I thought, I was like, oh, you know, he's dead. And he's the greatest entertainer ever. And, you know, I just I got to do it. So that's why I did it. Then that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, and we'll flash forward. Well, we'll talk about the roast battle, but the showmanship of that and how it's very James Brown inspired, I would even say. <laughs> the full experience of a show. But we're, 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 uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. okay. So then you start doing stand-up in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I started yeah in the uh, at the La Jolla Comedy Store and then just around the scene in San Diego, uh, which has grown. It's like four or five clubs now. And then when I started, I think it was just one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I started down there. I were I was there for about two and a half years, and then I moved up to Los Angeles, uh, April Fool's Day, two thousand ten. You're and all about those dates. I'm all about the ones. dates. Yeah. September eleventh, James Brown's death. Yes, and April Fool's Day, two thousand ten, <laughs> and then I've been here ever since. Amazing. And it's, a, it's been a. Uh, a match made in uh, up and downness. Yeah, I think that's pretty par for the course, right? Mm-hmm. And so, well, who were the first gatekeepers? I mean, the comedy store was that. Did you yeah. just decide right off the bat that's where you wanted to? It was the only game in town, really. Yeah, you know. Uh, and I didn't know anywhere else to go. I mean, I, I, then I learned about the open mic scene and you know what you can do and can't do. Uh, and it's a pretty good scene down in San Diego. I think, especially when I started, I'll, I'll say just because they had a lot of rooms where. They were, it gave you kind of built in exercises. Like the mics that we were doing were, you had to be clean, mm-hmm. you know, so you had to be clean. So you had to learn how to write clean. Um, and a lot of the clubs, just because there were a lot of music open mics or incorporated music open mics, and they would just allow us to do our stand up mm-hmm. as long as we weren't too dirty. So it really did teach you, like, you can't just go up there and do a bunch of dick jokes or pussy jokes or, you know, a lot, a lot of dark jokes, or you can be dark as long as it was clean. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it did teach you how to write a joke in that sense. Uh, and then the gatekeepers down there, were Ryan Hayes and Robert LaRevere and Joe Charles. Uh, Robert LaRevere owns the Madhouse Comedy Club. He's a former comic. That's a new club down in San Diego. Ryan Hayes is the uh, the general manager at the La Jolla Comedy Store. And then Sean Kelly, I think he was running the Comedy Palace, which is the second club in San Diego, which is like a Greek restaurant, but they they built a stage. So that's kind of how I started. And that, that was, that's kind of the, the gates that you have to get through in uh, San Diego. And then coming to LA, as I think anyone knows, it's like you're starting from scratch. Brand new. I mean, yeah. honestly, it's, it almost makes you feel like you've never done stand up before mm-hmm. when you moved to Los Angeles. I, mean, I would even say New York probably is, is the same difference. But uh, in Los Angeles, yeah, it's, uh, it, I, I didn't know, I, I, didn't, I didn't think I knew what stand up was when I first got here. So it was, a, it was a, a rebirthing process, I guess you could say. How long ago was that? Six years ago. So it's still pretty recent. I mean, right. six years is young mm-hmm. in an LA stand-up career. Yeah. And so at what point did you start producing Rose Battle? And were you producing anything before that? No. Uh, this is what's interesting about the comedy store. Um, when I got in, there was a, a coworker of mine, uh, 
by the name Gordon Downs. And he, uh, he had taught me that the comedy store is, it's like an institution. It's a comedy college. All the things you kind of hear in, in stand up when you start up, especially in Los Angeles, um, that the comedy store is like an institution. It's, it's a comedy college. You're here to learn how to, you know, do comedy and things like that. It's very CBGB. It's very do it yourself. Mm -hmm. It's like the inmates do run the asylum. And what I mean by that is we set, you know, we, we take tickets, we see people, we, uh, we produce the shows for the most part. We, we learn the sound system. We learn the mics. We, uh, you know, if there's something that needs to be uh, fixed or built, we have to do that ourselves, you know? So in, in that sense, it does teach you kind of how to produce a show or I guess, you know, build a room. Um, so with that knowledge, I, I, uh, I started an open mic at the comedy store in the belly room up here in Los Angeles. And then, yeah, it was, uh, it was about midnight, uh, about two months into the mic. And then these two, uh, one employee, one new comic were kind of fighting. And then when the employee said, this kid can't be here, he's under 21. And then the new comic said, Hey man, I turn 21 next Wednesday. When I get back, I'm going to beat your ass. And then we were all like in the room, like, yes. And I was like, you guys should slap box. And then everybody's like, yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. I just got this room. They just built cameras in here. So if, I, if they see people fighting up here, you know, we're not, we're not some skate park. We're not some fight club. We can't do that. So, uh, then I suggested they write jokes about each other. And then everybody in the room basically just be like a, uh, a Roman, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, parliament and just uh, yay or nay them. So that's, that's I had no idea that that's the genesis of the show. Mm -hmm. And so they came back the following week. No, it took oh, no. a couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it took a couple of weeks to coax them into it. Uh, but definitely, I think I, the kid was allowed in by that point. So about a week after that. They got well, was there the already like the buzz of the room for that late night mic at that point? Yeah, you know, the mic was good. I thought the mic was good just because they'd taken a, they'd taken a night away. And uh, I was still relatively new in town. And I, I, I knew a bunch of guys who I thought, you know, should be getting more time, especially at the store to be seen maybe. If not, just, you know, just for me to meet new guys. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So. Uh, How long ago was this? Yeah, three, three years ago. Wow. So three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, we just built it like that. And then, uh, it, it was, it was pretty good size. I mean, it was just a bunch of comics, you know, after on Tuesday night, you know, Tuesday's a really hot night, as, I guess in comedy here in Southern California. And, um, there's so many places to get up, uh, especially back then there was a really hot night on Tuesday. So then I was like, I'll just, I'll do it. And I'll do it late. I'll do it at 1030 to like two and eight, 2 AM, you know, where everybody's just getting out of their sets and they could just come here almost like a late night jazz thing. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. Kind of like the Harlem Renaissance was they, they bring all the, all the jazz musicians would kind of just come up to like the cotton club or just like old jazz clubs in, in, uh, in New York. And they just kind of jam all, all at all times of night. So I, I was kind of going with that feel and, uh, it was working for a little bit. We used to do segments, uh, in between, uh, some of the comics, just like, wait, some of the guys I really liked, you know, like, uh, my buddy Eric Marino or Toby or even rail battle. I got to have like segments for these, these certain guys. And then, um, and even other guys I would like, they would just create, they would create segments for themselves to kind of, I guess, give themselves new exercises of, of not to, I guess, get so mundane and so bored in comedy or stand up anyway. Um, anyway, so then we get to the roast battle and the roast battle just kind of took over the mic and then we got rid of, then the mic had to leave because the roast battle became so popular. It's amazing. I mean, so it, it was so cool to me is how organically it developed. Yeah, not the ovaries were organically, but like yeah. literally that people were coming up with their own segments. Mm -hmm. And that's how all these elements. So to, to a listener of this podcast that is not familiar with the roast battle, break it down. The roast battle is it's uh, two comics basically trading jokes back and forth. Uh, you know, it's a battle of wit and insults. So a comic will say a joke and then the other comic will receive it and then he'll say the joke basically. Uh, and then you have three, uh, three judges uh, usually of a higher cal caliber stand-up comic like your Sarah Silverman's, your Jeff Ross's, your Bill Burr's, 
uh, will judge, uh, will judge and say, oh yeah, you were funny or this wasn't funny or that joke was good or this joke wasn't good. And then there's so many other elements. I mean, the audience is an element. The, uh, there's this thing called the house hater where he basically is like a, uh, not so much a heckler, but he's just, he's, I don't know what he is actually. That's <laughs> he's Earl Skakel or what? That's Earl Skakel. Yeah. yeah. It still is, still is. And now I guess it's grown to a point now to where there's uh there's this thing called the Saudi Prince. <laughs> there's uh there's the mean boys who sit there sometimes. Um, just anything hateful, you know what I mean? Like guys have come in like, you know, been uh Hitler or like Hitler, Hitler youth, you know, in the <laughs> corner, things like that. Uh, and yeah, they'll just say anything kind of hateful and spiteful just to kind of get under your skin or they'll even like dig at you in some way that's got to be misogynistic, racial, xenophobic, transphobic, homophobic, anything, any kind of phobia, any kind of negativity. They're kind of spitting at you in a comedic sense. Uh, and then you have on the other side is this thing called the all Negro wave. And that consists of not just Negroes, but anybody <laughs> can be in that. Uh, and it's, it's guys like uh, Jamar Neighbors, Jeremiah Watkins, uh, a guy by the name of Haiti who's from Haiti, Willie Hunter. Jack Knight was in there, Luke Schwartz. So many guys have come through that thing. Um, but that's like a, they're an impromptu or a guerrilla uh, sketch team. Like they'll do these really quick six second sketches in between some of the jokes. If the jokes are really good, they'll do things like uh, they'll reenact Malcolm X getting assassinated. <laughs> they'll do a, a Harambe dragging the kid around the cage. Uh, gosh, there's just so many things. It's just, done. I mean, it's the most immersive experience mm-hmm. you can get. And people know this, like my, my hippie mission is enchantment and magic and you know i I want to bring people into magical realms and this is arguably the opposite Mm -hmm. but also arguably the same thing in so many ways um these it's it's just it's his own universe that you've created it's it's nuts i i I guess i can't really fathom it because uh i i didn't really see it that way but i think maybe when i get a little older i'll reflect on a little more and understand what happened because it really has changed the culture in los angeles a lot and i don't know if it's for the better or the worse so i would definitely say for the better i mean the store, and I think, you know, the, the clubs in general are having a renaissance, but I would definitely pin it on, you know, the roast battle, you know, and I'm, I'm at the improv, which, you know, mm-hmm. for decades we were, you know, adversaries uh, as far as clubs, but Tuesday nights I would be at the store yeah, having the time of my life um, to watch the battle because it was such an event. Yeah. And what's so cool to me and, and as a producer and watching you, and even I remember, you know, meeting up for coffee like yeah. maybe two years ago. I remember that. And seeing how quickly it's become, well, I mean, it's not quickly when you're on the other side of it, right. uh, perhaps, but being in Montreal this year and being up in a green room because I couldn't even get into the actual <laughs> taping and seeing this on a massive scale. So talk about that. Like, how did that evolve into this thing that's now on Comedy Central? It's like a worldwide yeah. phenomenon. It's, uh, yeah, it's nuts, Jamie. I mean, it's in, so, it's in three different continents. Uh, it's in like five or six countries. Which continents are dropping the ball? I know, right? Well, the ones that are in it's in uh, it's in it's in Africa, so that's one of the continents. It's, it's in Johannesburg, South Africa. There's uh, there's two battles in Sydney and one in Melbourne. Wait, literally, that you mean weekly shows? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I have no idea. No, the roast battle is a worldwide. It's a worldwide pandemic. It's, it's do do they have to license this from you? you I mean, for the most the part, yeah. It's you know what? It's it's almost like uh, the game of basketball take it, take what you will with it and then, you know, make it your own. And then, you know, hopefully we can all meet up, you know what I mean? And have a great game. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's two cities in, in Australia that do it. There's one city in South Africa. There's, I want to say six or eight cities in Canada. And then there's like 18 to 34 here in the States that do it. That's incredible. Is there somewhere people could see all these in one place? No, no. I, I don't know. I, I just happen to, uh, people will just, they'll send me messages, you know, like the people in, in Sydney or Melbourne, they'll be like, Hey, we do this down here. 
the Johannesburg one actually has a, uh, they have a TV show. It's uh, on Comedy Central Africa. It's their roast battle. Have you thought about, I'm sure you have like a a, a massive worldwide competition? I would love one. If we can get to everybody. I I would love one. We do it every, we did the, uh, we've now done twice at the Montreal Comedy uh, Just for Last Festival. So perhaps, I mean, we'll start scouring the world. Skewering, scouring the world to see, uh, yeah, if we can get the Find best all the haters, yeah. ever. Exactly. Do you have to be a stand-up comedian? No, and no. that's the beauty of this thing. We've had authors, we've had uh, ad executives, we've had uh, guys who are just Twitter people. You know what I mean? Like they're not like comics per se; they're just like Twitter, uh, Twitter comedians. So you literally can be anybody and do this. That's and we amazing. invite everybody. I mean, you, I literally there's there's a process where you just you do one round. It's three jokes. And it's, you have to find your own opponent, you know, because that makes, that brings the love involved. Because if you choose your own opponent, you're basically saying, hey, I want to learn about you and I want to roast you. But it's also, I'm giving you the respect of learning who you are to write jokes about you because that's your subject. So, well, it's, I wouldn't say respect is always the <laughs> first thing that comes to mind when you watch it, but right. Um, right, right. I guess that is a form of respect to yeah. learn about like, someone's greatest foibles yeah. Yeah. and exploit them. Right. I just, yeah. I mean, I'm not a big roast. I, I was never a big roasting guy or even into the, uh, the whole insult comedy thing. I mean, not, not to, not to, um, I guess be like pretentious to that, to that form of comedy. But, uh, it's, um, I was never like, you know, big like, Oh, I gotta see this roast. But now it's, I see the love. I see where the, the, the baseline is love, mm-hmm. you know? And then I say respect just because it does. I mean, like for the most part, a lot of comics were very uh, narcissistic and, and egomaniacal. So it, it takes a lot to, pry ourselves away from ourself. So for me to like, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm battling you, you know, uh, and for me to pry myself away from my act and then to take a, a week or three to just, to really just focus on Jamie Flam. I mean, that takes a lot. I think respect. three, only three weeks for me. Yeah. I've already like in my head, like I'll, I had this idea a long time. I was like, well, I should go up against Adam. Yeah. That'd be great. But I don't know if I can handle, oh, handle it. He couldn't either. <laughs> he couldn't either. So what was it like for you? And it was really surreal watching in Montreal, um, you were hosting this, mm-hmm. this televised event for you making that transition from hosting in a small, intimate room to this massive uh, soundstage in Montreal. Was it a right. soundstage? I guess it was just a theater. Right. It, yeah. It was an old jazz club or it is an old, it's, it's a jazz club in, uh, in Montreal and they, uh, they transformed it into this like pit. And, uh, like a real, if it seemed like a real fight club, you know what I mean? Like you just, you came to a basement you're just like, what is this? There's cages, there's people, you know, on the mezzanine of the balcony, just like, sm- you know, slapping against the railing. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a sight to see, uh, as far as hosting and being on television is concerned, I didn't think about it too much. Uh, I think the first couple of days, just because I'd never been on television. So there's, there's a lot of blocking and there's, there's a process to it, especially with the director I'd never worked with before. So I think it was just kind of getting the feel for him because I know the show, but he doesn't really know the show. And he doesn't know how I work and I obviously don't know how he works and he knows TV better than I do. So I think it's, it was, uh, it's like getting to know, it's like meeting a girl you're, you're into, you know, and then I guess getting to know her foibles, mm-hmm. you know, so we had to really learn about each other and, and compromise. And then by, by night three or four, we really had it. And I want to say by the live episode when there's no, uh, there's no safety in it. I think I was most comfortable then just because we do it live every Tuesday. So I, I, I didn't, I wasn't nervous or scared. It was more like now they can't talk to me because usually the director that they're, they're taping, they can just replay it back and forth and they can cut things. They can tell you, Oh, I didn't like the way you said that. Let's do it again. When it's live, they can't do anything. So it's all on you. And I mean, was, did you have goosebumps? 
like every, I, I'm just, you know, putting myself in your shoes. Like, yeah, if a show that I created was in this and you're looking around and seeing like there are hundreds yeah. of people working for this right now. Yeah. We gave people jobs. It was nuts. Right. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I, I took it as this Jamie, just because I didn't know if I was going to be a host on the show. You know, I, I, I definitely have no name in the game. Um, especially on the comedy channel, uh, where everybody's trying to be. So for them to, uh, to, to put me in that position, I was really appreciative of it and I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess it up. So I, um, I really took, uh, I took it personally. I, I really just, I focused, I almost took it as like a tryout, you know, mm-hmm. like every, every show is a tryout. Everything we do with these people is a tryout. Every conversation is, you know, I feel like they're just, they're, uh, they're analyzing me. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. like, oh, how can we get rid of this guy? So I, I just, I took it really seriously and i was like i gotta just do well and i just had to really focus and do my thing so i wasn't so much nervous as i was focused and just you know trying to have as much fun as i could but also be as professional as i could yeah and going back to like the the aspect of love Mm -hmm. um it really is about the comedy community i happen to see one battle i believe it was steve ran versus Mm -hmm. sam morrill um was that the one but, you know, watching Steve, who, of course, was, you know, on the hot seat, especially, right. but it gave him almost the opportunity for redemption in a weird way. It was like almost like uh, there was this justice where it was like, you know, he fucked up mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> out the gates and it was, you know, terrible. But it was also like, it seemed like it was like this, this swift justice for everything that happened where it was like, all right, you got what you deserve now on national yeah. TV. It's like he fell on the sword in a sense, mm-hmm. you know? It, yeah, I, I felt that way too. I felt it was a uh, a good cleansing for him or a baptism, I guess you could say. I mean, he got, he got embarrassed. He embarrassed, you know, he didn't embarrass <laughs> himself. He embarrassed himself. He really did. Uh, and I think that was good. I, I love what he said in the uh, the post uh, show, the post roast. He, um, he was like, I just, I'm glad this is over and I just hope we can all be friends now. And I just yeah. thought that was so sweet and just so what the show is, you know? It's like, God, I'm glad this this is over. I'm glad I released. This is so cathartic. Can we all just, we all stop hating me now. Can I get, can I get work again? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I thought it was good on his part, even though he messed up. <laughs> and so what, um, what, what's next for the show? I'm hoping a season two. I mean, I, I, uh, I have an inkling we're going to get one. So when they make the official announcement, I can, I can really rejoice, but we've had some good, we've had some good conversations about it. They're excited about it. The network is. So that's how much, I mean, show. speaking of gatekeepers, I mean, once comedy central, wanted to do this how did you keep the integrity of it because it seems like you you were able to do that like did you have to fight for that or they were just like they were on board they were on board they just they they had scouted the show for a long time they had passed on the show for a long time you know this show's been going on for three years i think they came i want to say six months into it and they saw and they're just like this isn't for us you know like everybody came and saw and they said this isn't for us there's a few networks that that stuck with us and then uh it took the just for last month the just for laughs montreal show last year 2015 for everybody to get back on board and saying, oh, now we get it. So when they got it and they were like, and they knew how dangerous it was, especially live. When they said they want to do it live or one live one episode, we were all like, what are you doing? You know, you know what we do, right? We have a thing called the all nigga wave. You're kidding me, right? right. Uh, but yeah, they, I, kudos to them. Kudos to Comedy Central for, uh, for not changing anything really. I mean, the only thing that we really lost was the, uh, the house hater, but then we got, you know, we, that was fine because Earl became a battler and he was mm-hmm. even better as a battler, I thought. So yeah, the integrity of the show was, was pretty much intact and uh, we didn't really change too much. I mean, they didn't, they didn't cut anything out. We were supposed to, we couldn't say they didn't do anything, you know, they didn't cut anything the wave did or anything like that. So. And at what point, you know, going back a couple of years or whenever it was, where was Jeff Ross just initially the one that was like, I get this. And when he championed it, is that, I mean, 
to me as a booker and mm-hmm. it's a struggle i think everyone assumes that it's the easiest job especially the improv to just oh we can call up um jerry seinfeld tomorrow and right. of course <laughs> right. um and so you know and i'm very competitive too i'm like how the fuck is he getting Sarah silverman <laughs> at 11 30 or yeah. midnight like is it was it just sheer momentum or like how much of that is having jeff ross and having an amazing uh, show of yeah course, too. uh you know I'll say, I mean, there's, there's a few people I do know. Like I, I know Sarah personally, I know Bill Burr personally. So those, those, when I brought those names in, um, it became easier for me to get bigger judges, like, uh, of people of like, uh, of the same ilk of a Sarah sure. or a Bill, you know, like a David Tell. But when Jeff comes in, cause Jeff knows everybody. And I didn't know that. I didn't know how well-respected and well-known Jeff was in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. So when Jeff comes in and brings people like Brett Ratner and John Mayer, you know, um, you know, Mario Andretti's son. I, it's like, you couldn't believe. I was like, you know, all these people. He's like, yeah, somebody of mine. Mario like, Andretti's what? son? Yeah. <laughs> Is he a racer? <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a race car driver. driver. Uh, he just knows so many people. So when he's saying, when he says, hey, as a veteran of stand-up who people respect and love, he's like, hey, there's a really cool show I'm involved in. You got to come see it. It does open up the floodgates for everybody to be. Mm-hmm. And when they see it, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe it was better than you said, Jeff, that kind of thing. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's really... It's Jeff bringing it's Jeff bringing all his friends, and it's us doing a good job of of this this improv show we do every week on Tuesday. So for you personally, I mean, I'm I'm sure this has become your life in the last year. Yeah, so. totally. I, um, I, yeah, I thought I said it was a side project. It's not a side project. It literally is my life. And <laughs> I'm sure it's still a labor of love. I mean, how has it affected your stand up? Is it I'm, is it better for it? Are you still able to work on your material? Yeah, because I I do it once a week. I mean, for the most part. I'm just dealing with people who want to, you know, who want to be booked for the show uh, every Tuesday. So, I mean, that that's every day. It's just like dealing with them, booking new people and, and learning about new people and um, learning how to make the show better. But for the most part, there's 24 hours in a day. So, you know, I can still dedicate an hour or two to writing new stand-up or, you know, I'm still going up every night for the most part to a mic or to, you know, to a show. So that's not, that's not, this show doesn't hinder that. Um, how it's made my stand-up better it's uh, it's giving me more confidence. I'll sure. say that you know, especially as a host, hosting a show. I I wasn't um, I wasn't too privy of of, of how uh, difficult the job was or how even uh, how to maintain a show. Uh, but with this show, it's taught me everything because there's so many there's so many spinning plates or there's plates I have to spin anyway. I feel like a point guard. Yeah. in that sense, you know, I'm just passing the ball to all these funny people. So being a host, I'm kind of I feel like I'm playing a game and I'm 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 distributing the ball. James Brown, I came full circle. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I, I do wonder. I mean, and I think we initially connected too on that the whole the romantic notion of like the jazz club. And, yeah, um, or a fucking soul concert with mm-hmm. James Brown, just um, the theatrics of it. Yes, and I, and I love that that's coming back. And you know, I, I you're doing that at such a high level at this store right now. Yeah. I didn't realize you're doing stand-up. That's the only reason you're not getting spots here like that often is because I just didn't even think you were even doing it, man. Yeah. I'm still doing it. I'm still out here. <laughs> I'm still doing stand-up. It's a lot of fun. I love it. Are you still doing stand-up? No. Really? I haven't done stand-up. I mean, I'll perform and host right. my own weird little shows um, when I can, but... You're so funny. You're so quirky. I oh, really appreciate I'm, it. Not I'm, being honest. Like, you're very I creative. appreciate it. Yeah. Now I'm digging for some stuff. <laughs> no, like, I mean, what's your like it. favorite part about me on stage? I what I like about it you just my eyes? It's well, I mean, your eyes obviously. I get lost in yeah, them, yeah, so sure. I, I almost forget what you're saying at the point. Um, no, I love your your originality and your creativity. I think a lot of that gets lost with some of the stand-ups who just want to be like, hey, you know, dating's this, dating's that. I like that. Um, I guess just coming from 
you know, being in the trenches of the, of the open mics, it's really, you really appreciate the guys who are original and creative, you know, guys like Jamar Neighbors, you know what I mean? Guys like Jeremiah Watkins. And then uh, I think of the first time I saw you, I've only seen you a handful of times, but then I remember the first time I did see you, I was like, oh, this guy's like, he's, he's, he's like a cartoon, you know? Oh, that's, I take that as a compliment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely not a, that's it's more, it's you're animated, but not in the sense where it's, it seems like you're overdoing it. You know, like well, some people, yeah. when they do, when they act out, they can be, they feel like they're overdoing it, but I feel like you're incorporating stand up and, and improv. And I think it's really hard to do sometimes. It's that Bless your so. heart. I certainly yeah. wasn't digging. I, um, it's just tough being a booker. And I was going to ask you about that too, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm a booker of this club and you know, I, I know about the politics and I know how comics think because I've been a comic and I've been right. a performer. And like, so there's been times I've been in the audience, especially late at night. And there's like four comics who are like, this is the fucking booker. I'm right here. Put me up. Yeah. And I have that in the back <laughs> of my head as I'm trying to be a complete goofball. Totally. Um, so that's a weird dynamic mm-hmm. to be a gatekeeper as you are for the roast. And, you know, has, has that posed any um, issues or challenges for you? Yeah. It makes me too accessible. And I, I think, cause you know, I'm, I'm as an extrovert on stage, I'm really introverted, I guess, off stage in a sense where I don't like to really, you know, be as accessible as I am, you know, in the community because I do book this show. Uh, but that is a problem to me. I, it's become, it's becoming more of a problem because now everybody's, when they talk to me, it's like, they're just talking to me just to get a spot. Like, Hey, can I get a spot in your show? Or how do I get on this and that? It's like, Hey, great work or this and that. It's like, we're not really friends. We're not trying to become friends. They're just, they're trying to become, you know, bookies. Yeah. So. Which is crazy for this roast yeah. format. Um, how do you book the show? I mean, cause obviously you want yeah. the big, big names, but you have such a wide range of, of different people. Yeah. Anybody can do it. I mean, absolutely anybody can do it. Uh, I, I book it old school. I go through, uh, um, like old school. I, I, I Facebook just, you can <laughs> Facebook me at Brian Moses. And, uh, if you find an opponent, I will put, I'll find a day for you somewhere down the line. And then, uh, yeah, you're going to, you're going to battle somebody for three jokes and yeah, I mean, and you can always come back. I've never told anybody they can't come back. That's you're the most magnanimous Insane. of all time. Uh, insane. Yeah. <laughs> well, how many, um, you know, undercards do you have? Is that what's called? Undercards? Yeah. Undercards. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll stack them sometimes just because I just need to, you know, people just want to get up. And if I have enough time, I, mean, I have in that room, God, I start, we start at 1030 and we're supposed to be out of there by, you know, one ish or two ish. So, you know, and I try to get the, uh, the main battle at least by 1230. So yeah, I'll, I'll probably put like four undercards in there. Have you ever battled? I've never battled. Never. Those who can't roast host. Mm. is what a buddy of mine told me and uh i'm sticking with that it's you don't think it's insane i no no not that i couldn't do it i don't think i'd want to do it just because nothing i'm sensitive but i it's it's a lot of work it's a lot of work to pry myself away from me <laughs> and uh it just seems hard and brutal man I, I i i give it up to those guys who do it every week because it's it's a gladiator sport it's not stand-up yeah has anyone ever gone rogue and gone off on you a couple, I mean, not not rogue and gone off. Uh, Tony Hinchcliffe's pretty good on, <laughs> oh, sure. on going on me. Yeah, Tony Hinchcliffe's good about it. Uh, who else? Mushy Cash is pretty good when they go and they they're trying to go off on me. But yeah, guys like that for the most part. I love it. So, so what's the key to being a good battler? The key to being a good battler is be specific. You know, no surface level stuff. No. Ah, uh, your hair looks like this, or you know, you look like a school shooter, or you look like this person. <laughs> fuck this person. Like, be more specific than that. The more specific you are, the uh, the more personal it's going to feel to everybody in the room. The more they're, they're going to feel like, oh my god, this joke is really good because now I learned this, something about this guy. You know, and wow, I didn't know he was an as at eight years old. And there's a, and there's like a really good joke on top of it. 
things like that really help. Um, looking at your opponent, you know, really like staring at him almost mm-hmm. like it's a, it, cause it's a competition. So like really just staring your competition down and like really just like Joe Dosh is really good because chin up, chest out <laughs> and just delivers a joke with just such fervor. He, that, I mean, that's yeah. Specific, specific, specificity. Um, looking at your opponent, not really using notes. You can use notes, but just glance at them. Don't like, you know, don't actually look on your phone and then read the j- jokes. Unless that's your thing and you're really good at it, but for the most part, if you're, st- if you're starting out, just memorize your work uh, and don't suck. Don't suck. Don't yeah, suck. that's good advice. You know, don't suck. And or then- if you do, you're going to get ridiculed by not just your peers, but your heroes, you know, your Jeff Rosses, your Sarah Silverman, yeah. your David Tells, and you're not going to like it. I'm sure you've seen so many battles that people come unprepared and gotten... Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Also, uh, yeah, don't be black. I think that's another <laughs> one too. I uh, yeah, Black battlers, there's a uh, there's a certain, I guess it's a, a curse they call it, but yeah, we were like maybe black battles were eight and 58 <laughs> in roast battles. So. Who are the eight? The great eight. The great eight. Uh, you got Jerron Horton, Tony Asar, Trey Stewart, uh, Gary Curtis. Gosh, I'm missing some guys here. Uh, I want to say that's almost it. And then what, um, is there any up and comers? Keep your eye on this battler. They're, they're, they're going to they're gonna be big. Big names? Oh, yeah. Olivia Grace, uh, Keith Carey, Connor McSpadden, Leah K. Janian, Alex Hooper, Joe Dosh. Uh, big names. Oh, Sarah Tiana, obviously. Uh, Mike Lawrence from New York. Who won the... He won the whole yeah. thing. Earl Skakel. He's our guy. I'm trying to think of, yeah, those, I mean, those are the big names right there. I thought we could have to think. And then finally, I mean, as a show producer in LA, mm-hmm. is there anything like knowledge, things that you wish you knew when you started that would have made it easier? Things you've learned that to a young comic or any comic that wants to start a show in LA, advice you would give? Yeah. Uh, don't be boring. Don't make your shows boring. I mean, I, I think when I started my open mic, I was, that was even my, my motto was, uh, I don't want this to be boring. I want people to actually want to stay and like want to be a part of this mic. You know, that's why I started the segment thing. Um, and then it grew to the Rose battle, which is like, you know, which is what it is now. But yeah, come up with a concept, um, how to keep people in the room, you know, really like, cause this is, this is you putting your hands in the soil of your garden, you know, really, 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 really. I mean, I can't even think, I guess about I mean, what, what I do now, but, uh, get help. You know, I mean, I, I think that's what I learned. I couldn't do it all by myself. So I really found uh, some good showrunners to help me out. Um, I was recommending some people so that helped too. Well, I use your, when I'm talking to people that are pitching shows, I'll yeah. definitely use your show as an example, you know, create ritual mm-hmm. is an important thing. Like when thing, when people show up for the first time and see that everyone knows this person's gonna, like, Oh shit. Yeah. That makes you feel like you're part of something. Right. But it sounds, I mean, in, in, Essentially, you have a writing staff and a production staff. And I love the, the, the segment ideas. It's mm-hmm. so good. You know, giving artists a platform, even if it's two or three minutes, and seeing what they create, that right. will organically become a roast battle on Comedy Central. <laughs> and make yeah. everyone, you know, a millionaire. Oh, my gosh. I wish. What was the biggest hurdle for you artistically just to even get that show started? What was the impetus where you're like, finally, I'm going to the booker at the comedy store. Give me this night. I want to produce something. The hardest part was getting that mic uh, because we had lost it before. It was, it was ran by me and another person before. And then he took it away uh, just because there was conflict happening. 
And then I just kept begging and begging and begging. And I finally got the show back and then I didn't want to mess it up. So then when I, I suggested the slap boxing thing, I was like, Oh, I can't lose it. I literally just got this room back. And I, I, it was really precious to me because I was really figuring out, you know, how to produce a show, you know? So it was teaching me. Um, I was using the college for what it was for. And, and I think the biggest hurdle was how do we not, how do we not, how do we get bigger names? How do we get Jeff Ross on the show? You know what I mean? How do we get that kind of guy on the show? How do we make the show better? You know, cause I think when the Rose Battle first started, we didn't know what it was. So it was, it took a community to really figure out what it was. You know, there's so many ideas that we took that didn't work. Uh, there's so many ideas that we did take that worked. So I think it's just listening to everybody really being open and really, I mean, I really hold community to heart when it comes to stand up because I think a lot of the, the, the scene's not like that. It's very competitive, you know? So when I was like, I want to start a show that's going to be about bringing the whole community together. I want to bring the East side guys over here. I want to bring the, you know, the, the West side comics or the urban comics or, you know, alternative comics or clean. Com I want to bring everybody to this mic I had. And then I want to see what we could create, you know, and then ultimately created the roast battle. But uh, yeah, I think that the biggest hurdle was just, how can I get my, how can I get guys I really, I really love, you know, from, you know, the alternative community, the urban community and uh, all these other clubs that I, that, you know, that, that don't normally come to the comedy store. How can I get them here? And I think that was the biggest hurdle. But then when people started hearing about it, it was really word of mouth because we weren't really pushing it on social media or just, we weren't saying like, Hey, you got to come see this. You got to come do this. It was just, I want people to, I, I really want this, this word of mouth thing to work, especially in today's age. And the fact that it worked, I think that's, that was the most eye opening thing. And that was the biggest hurdle of, how do we get the word out about this without actually trying to get the word out about mm -hmm. this? Yeah. You want there to be some sort of subversive quality and that's mm -hmm. exactly what people want to be at the cool thing. Right. Right. I, yeah, I can't, yeah, I, I can't believe we made it happen. Well, God bless you. Huh. So that's where you began. What's next, Brian Moses? What's next? Immediately next. Um, like literally, what are you going to do when you leave this room? I'm going to another podcast in Venice. Um, and then this weekend I will be in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the Blue Whale Comedy Festival. Oh, cool. What is that all about? It's fun, man. It's like an alternative comedy festival. I want to say, uh, it's like Ron Funches, Ray Butcher, uh, Nate Bargatze, Ian Abramson. Love them all. Yeah. Those are all fun guys. I think, uh, the goddamn comedy jam is going to be out there. Ian's seven minutes of purgatory is going to be out there. Uh, yeah. It's gonna be a lot of fortune famesters going to be out there. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a fun weekend. I'm excited. And then where could people find you in LA? Tuesday nights at the store. You can find me definitely every Tuesday at the comedy store. Uh and then yeah, just check my Twitter at um at race banning, Brian Moses, whatever they call that. Uh and you can just see where I'm gonna be at around town. We're gonna get you up at the Hollywood Improv hey. in the next two to three weeks. <laughs> I should be here <laughs> October something on Comedy Juice, October nineteenth. Oh nice. So yeah. That's a hot show here at the world-famous Hollywood Improv. Thank you for coming on. Dude, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, and congrats on everything. Thank you. Congrats on you too, man. When's your next uh, Van Jam? Van Jam. Um, nothing, in, nothing planned right now. All right. Focusing on producing. Oh. Yes. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, with that, I will go to my thing that I say at the end of every show. I say this, Brian. I say, work on your craft endlessly. Be professional. Be undeniable. And be cool as fuck. Always. And I very much still believe in that. From Jamie Flam and Brian Moses uh, to you at home, I'm rambling myself out. And Andrew, the producer, will slowly fade out. Sweet sounds of me droning off. What am I going to say next? Who will know? Who want to hear it?
for more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me online at jamieflam.com and at jamieflam on Twitter. A very special thanks to the Sideshow Network, The Hollywood Improv, Andrew Stevens, Sean Merrick, Roddy Swearingen, and producer Buddy Peace for the awesome music at the top and end of this episode. And be sure to check out hollywood.improv.com for updates on great new shows coming up in the main room and the lab.